0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Vipers Voices, the podcast from the Desert Vipers, a team that plays in the UAE's own 2020 league, the DP World ILT20. It's a new year and that means we're now within touching distance of the second edition of the tournament that gets underway on Friday the 19th of January. And this time we go off the field away from the players to hear from one of the unsung heroes of the Vipers backroom staff, strength and conditioning coach Darren Vanessa. Daz, as he's universally known, is one of the heartbeats of the Vipers and his role in keeping the players in tip-top physical shape was crucial in the sides charge to the final in Season 1 of the tournament. He's someone who has vast experience of working with top-level players, having spent two decades with English County Somerset, half a dozen years with Surrey, plus his other work with not only the Vipers, but also amongst other teams, the Oval Invincibles in the 100, and time too with the England men's setup. Coming up is a fascinating insight into Daz's role and how he works with the players to ensure they can produce their best on an ongoing basis, despite the tight schedule that asks so much of them. He loves a nickname too, and you'll hear a few of them during the upcoming chat, including Foz for head coach James Foster, Moods for director of cricket Tom Moody and Soldier Boy for left-arm fast bowler Sheldon Cottrell. Before we crack on, though, a reminder that tickets are now on sale for all Vipers matches this season, starting with the team's opener against the Abu Dhabi Night Riders on the third day of the tournament, Sunday the 21st of January, at the Dubai International Stadium. You can get hold of your tickets through the league's website www.ilt20.ae or at any Virgin Megastore in the UAE. Now, let's hear from Daz. Such is the nature of the T20 schedule around the world, many of the players on the Vipers roster will arrive into Dubai a matter of days before the start of the tournament and then have little time for intensive conditioning work during the tournament because of the compressed nature of the fixture list with the side playing 10 round-robin matches in just 22 days. On that basis, we got Daz to explain exactly what his role with the side was. And it's about finding the balance really with their with their strength work and their power work it's keeping it
1: ticking over and then factoring in the lads that are either going to be rotating in or out the squad or the lads that aren't getting into the team for whatever reason then it's the opportunity to, to do a little bit more work either to build on what they've already got or also to set them up for what could be an, another t- tournament coming up I and mean, I know we've got the PSL and then the IPL right behind our tournament. So uh, sometimes it's it's a nod to those things too. No recognising that these guys are bouncing around the planet, going from one tournament to the next. So it's finding your windows to uh,
0: to get some good quality work done. And from his perspective, what gives him most pleasure is helping to ensure that as many players as possible are available for each and every match.
1: It's definitely one of my KPIs, one of my key performance indicators is if we can continue to develop these players where we reduce either the severity or actual incidence at all of soft tissue injuries, then what we're actually doing then is creating more and more opportunities for them to be resilient, to be robust, and to be available for selection more and more. Now that then... From a from a Vipers perspective, means that Foz and Moods can sit down as director of cricket and head coach, and they can select the team that they want to select. They put a squad together, and the whole point of it is to choose the team they want to choose, rather than the team that
0: they have to choose. Daz's work doesn't begin though when the first players get into Dubai. It started a couple of months ago when he got in touch with all the squad, mapping out training programs for those who needed them and emphasizing the need for sprint work as T20 Cricket is all about dynamism.
1: Ultimately what I'm looking for is that by the time match one comes around, all of the squad have got a decent block of sprint time under their belt so that they're not going into the game with a situation that match time is the first time that they sprint, so I I want to make sure that we're well ahead of the curve and having a good 10-12 weeks beforehand, so it's nice, progressive long build-up before we actually get to
0: match one." And for Daz, there's also a legacy element to his work with the players at the Vipers, trying to ensure his charges are fit and firing for the long term, not just for the month or so that they're on ILT20 duty
1: there are windows where you can get some real short-term gains but the reality is a lot of the interventions that I may be making they're probably more medium to long-term and it's it's with re- a reflection on the player and it's the longer-term development of the player and it's the relationship that I'm forming with the player. I'm not looking at them as a short-term vipers commodity. I'm looking at them as an individual and I want to make sure that I gave them the best of, of me that I can and and see it as beyond Vipers, that's more important to me. And the ideal scenario is that they play repeatedly for Vipers. That's the ideal situation. If that doesn't happen, well, I'm still very, very happy with the work that I've done because you've potentially helped a player.
0: That's Desert Vipers strength and conditioning coach Darren Verness, and our chat with him is up next here on Vipers Voices. Daz, thanks very much for being with us here on Vipers Voices. It's a pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast. First of all, how did you become involved with the Desert Vipers? What, what, what's your background and have you always worked in cricket or, or have you seen action in other sports? Well,
1: before we get on to that, Murgis, I think I'd like to say thank you very, very much for having me. I've been listening and, and looking at all the others coming out and I was thinking, oh, I wonder if they'll phone me up. I wonder if they'll phone me up. So, it's a, it's a privilege to be on. It's, a, it's an honor to be, to be picking up the phone and, and talking to you, mate. But with regards to your question, how did I get involved with the Vipers? Uh, the, the simple answer and the quick answer is Tom Moody. I'd spent a season with him working in the 100 in the UK. Uh, he's the head coach there for the Oval Invincibles. Um, because of my uh, role at Surrey, where I'm the head of strength and conditioning there, at the time, Alex Stewart had asked me if I wanted to do it. When the 100 started, I said yes. Probably one of the, one of the big draws was to spend some time with Moods. So I'd heard a lot about him with a lot of people, but I'd only really spent time with him when, you know, walking past him when he towered over me, when he was still uh, captain and then coach at uh, Worcester. So, which leads probably nicely onto my background. I've always worked in cricket, Yeah, pretty much. It's safe to say that I have, really, from a sporting perspective. I signed for Somerset County Cricket Club in the UK in 1996, and I spent two decades there. And then I got a phone call from Alex Stewart asking if I would move from the southwest to the southeast and take up a role at Surrey, which I was very, very happy to do. Definitely saw that as a a privilege, and I've had... Six amazing seasons there we've had three championships there we've had two T20 finals days and uh... Obviously, this year at the Oval, we've won the 100 as well with Oval Invincibles.
0: That's a pretty impressive uh, CV for yourself and for the teams you've been involved in. But the ILT20, it's a tournament where you have a very limited contact time with players, isn't it? Many will arrive in at the 11th hour, some having been playing in different parts of the world. And then once they arrive in Dubai, there's a packed schedule until the tournament wraps up. So there's very little time... apart from matches and recovery, really, from that point of view and the point of view of getting players' fitness up to speed and then maintaining it through the tournament, that must be a nightmare for you, isn't it? So how do you go about planning for that and and dealing with it?
1: I mean, the handy thing for that, to be honest, mate, is the fact that we've got the schedule ahead uh, of time, so we've got a rough idea, so you can already start to plan things. And the good thing is, you know, with the franchise happened happening with the 100, and the ILT20 last season, uh, it was a great opportunity to have it all thrashed out. So I'm confident that we'll, we'll drop straight into Season 2 and hit the ground running. And we like to come together beforehand, so we've got an opportunity for a couple of weeks of, like you say, that getting to know each other. There'll be a few new faces uh, in at the uh, Vipers this year. A couple of them I already know. Uh, and a couple of them I've worked with for quite a bit of time, which is always handy. But yeah, if if they're coming from other tournaments, it actually makes it a little bit easier because you know that they're absolutely flying with their match, you know, skill specifics. When, you know, for example, with their throwing and their sprinting, they're normally typically right up there. And then it's about finding the balance really with their with their strength work and their power work. It's keeping it ticking over, and then factoring in the lads that are either going to be rotating in or out the squad or the lads that aren't getting into the team for whatever reason, then it's the opportunity to do a little bit more work, either to build on what they've already got or also to set them up for what could be another tournament coming up. And I know we've got the PSL and then the IPL right behind our tournament, so uh, sometimes it's a, it's a nod to those things too. No recognising that these guys are bouncing around the planet, going from one tournament to the next. So it's finding your windows to, uh, to get some good quality work done. It's easier if you're comfortable with the players. It's easier if you know their routine previously. And it's easier if you know their routine following the ILT20. So you you can you can all normally find a little bit of middle ground and you can find some comfort zone work. So it, it's, it's not too bad at all, actually. It's not the nightmare it
0: could be. Well, Daz, I know you sent a message to all the players after the squad was confirmed post the UAE player draft. And one of the things you asked everyone to uh, think about and work on was to focus on sprints in training. Now, can you explain to our listeners why that was?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if we look at the injury data throughout the world, if we look at world cricket, soft tissue injury data, which I I need to specify soft tissue because from my point of view, uh, as a strength and conditioning coach, uh, there's certain things that I can't really do too too much about. You know, uh, if we look at finger fractures, for example, with lads taking catches or getting hit while they're batting, or even stress fractures to a certain degree with with the bowlers, there's only so much short-term input that you can have as an S&C coach that will have any impact on that, really. Whereas soft tissue injuries, even though we're only together for a relatively short period of time, there's a huge amount of work that we can do, and it's definitely one of my KPIs, one of my key performance indicators, is if we can continue to develop these players where we reduce either the severity or actual incidence at all of soft tissue injuries, then what we're actually doing then is creating more and more opportunities for them to be resilient, to be robust, and to be available for selection more and more. Now that then, from a, from a Vipers perspective, means that Foz and Moods can sit down as director of cricket and head coach, and they can select the team that they want to select. They put a squad together, and the whole point of it is to choose the team they want to choose rather than the team that they have to choose. So based on that, if we look at the the worldwide cricket injury stats, it's pretty similar to most team sports with regards to hamstrings. They're incredibly common, and they can be problematic to recover from. And the problem is, once you've had one, you're at an elevated risk of having another one. So anything that we can do to make those hamstrings more robust, more resilient, to a very packed schedule, it becomes a big, big deal. It's such a big deal. And one of the biggest risk factors for hamstrings as well is all of a sudden doing some sprinting. So if you're not acclimatized to sprinting, and then you do some sprinting, you're you're at a higher risk. You know, there's a lot of things going on in those hamstrings. There, are, uh, hamstrings and sprinting, you know, they're, they they're perfect for each other. And, you know, the, the hamstrings are very very busy uh, when you sprint, but it also because of that it also means that there's a significant risk of injury. So one of the best ways to prepare for sprinting is gradual improvements and, and in in volume in sprinting. So it's it's ideal prep where if we start to get the ball rolling and the lads start to do some work. Now, whether that's they start off at shorter distances, for example, doing 10 metres and 20 metres and building up to sort of 30s and 40s, or whether they they start off with the, the longer sprints but start off at a lower percentage of effort and then build up their intensity. There's There's lots of different ways we could do it, but ultimately what I'm looking for is that by the time... Match one comes around, all of the squad have got a decent block of sprint time under their belt so that they're not going into the game with a situation that the match time is the first time that they sprint. So I, I want to make sure that we're well ahead of the curve and having a good, you know, as you said, when I sent that message, you we're probably looking at you know, 10, 12 weeks beforehand. So it's a nice, progressive, long build-up before
0: we actually get to match one. Well you mentioned match one there and once the tournament gets underway, what is your day-to-day role given players are, are playing virtually every other day? I think the Vipers 22 days in the group stage and there's 10 matches there so it's a pretty tough schedule what will you be doing during that time?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a different schedule to, to last season last season it, it couldn't, have, couldn't have gone any better to be honest I think we had a lovely year lovely build-up and a lovely introduction into the tournament. Uh, Whereas this year, there's there's more back-to-back games and, like you say, the games come thick and fast. So, it's definitely already shaping how myself and Nerm, our physio, uh, uh, how the two of us, because we do operate very, very closely together, we're already spending time looking at that and trying to manipulate it and tweak it a little bit compared to last season. So, on a match day, the lads that either aren't playing or like to do their preparation early, that they may be in the gym after breakfast and and doing some priming work, which is typically more explosive type work, which switches on your central nervous system, and and that that can last for quite a period of time. So that as soon as they come to the come to the match time. That everything is uh, it switches back on a lot quicker because we've already primed it earlier in the day. So some of those sessions will take place. The lads that are not not actually involved in the game, they be, may be getting either some uh, some gym work done or some speed work done or even some conditioning work because there may be windows to do that too. Then it's getting everything ready, getting all the supplements ready, getting uh, getting ourselves to the uh, to the match and then it's right okay let's go let's get these boys prepped and ready so we go into the warm-up structure which is very gradual and very progressive and some like to do it a certain way some like to do it another that we'll have different routines for different lads but then when we come together at group time that's another little window for me to do that last little bit of warm-up prep so we'll be will be warming up their trunk and their shoulders and their lower limbs. We'll get some resisted uh, short sprints in as well to really make sure that those lower limbs are firing. And again, that drill—it's another—it's another little window for me to do some technical sprinting work as well. Just reinforce those cues and what, what we can do there by even adding those things into a match day. It means that I can almost microdose those little uh, sprint mechanics and running mechanics cues, uh, which means that we get a lot of hits of that and we, a lot of exposure over over the uh, campaign, which ideally means that, from a technical point of view, they get better as time goes on. And then once the prep is done, once the warm-up's done and we're into the skills prep, then basically it, it's over to the, the other guys. It's over to the coaches to do their thing, which is always... <laughs> From my point of view, it, it's always a, a, a little win for me because I get to watch them. The Vipers coaches, they are, they really are the best in the business. You know, if you look at Fars, Helmo, uh, Crowy, uh, Azza, uh, uh Macca, they're, they're unbelievable coaches. So for me, that's a little selfish moment to, uh, to watch them go about their business and see how they go about it. With obviously Moots right at the top of the tree, um, calling all the shots as well, which is. He, he's he's never tedious. I never get tired of watching him operate.
0: Well, you mentioned, uh, or we've spoken there about uh, that message you sent to the players about those uh, sprints. I'm just interested if you can give our listeners a, a bit of an insight as to how hands-on you are with the players. Is it up to the players to come to you wanting uh, what wanting guidance and wanting work, or do you actually go to them? How does it work? Bit of both, to be honest, mate, and
1: it, it's different for each individual and. I'm always keen to uh, get the lads bouncing in the gym. I like a nice, noisy gym. I like plenty of music going. I, I think that was pretty obvious from last year's tournament. The speaker's never far away and it's, it's always good to have a group uh, of lads coming together and doing some work. So if we can get some group sessions going, which obviously with the running type work, it's a very easy to do. And then with the gym schedule, you know, we we've got other teams at our facility. So again, it sets up a schedule where we can have a few lads in together. Um, so I will be asking the question routinely, but then there's always other lads that are absolutely nailed down with their work and they, they're more than happy to just get on and go through it. And, you know, then it's just, we're having conversations really, right. You know what you want to do, you know what you're doing. Okay, let's go. And they'll happily get on with it. To be honest, I'm, I'm always there to be either supportive or to be coaching, or to be actively involved in prepping the sessions. All, all options are, are on the table. You have got someone like Soldier Boy, who you know is so well drilled, and he'll just get on and get his work done. And then we've had some of the other lads, uh, some of the uh, some of the guys from uh, you know the um, the less structured countries. Sometimes their exposure to strength and conditioning has been limited for whatever reason. So it's nice to get some work done with those guys. I've had some good opportunities with, especially with the UAE lads. You know, if you look at Ali, the work we did with him early on, you know that was fantastic just to have that opportunity. Especially because he was such a belter. You know, he took to it straight away. He was incredibly easy to coach and made me look very good because in within 15 minutes he, he looked a million dollars so uh, it was perfect from my point of view
0: <laughs> but look players are, are obviously going to be arriving at the ILT20 at different levels of fitness how do you deal with that uh, uh, surely it means you, you can't have a one size fits all approach to to drills or, or the work that you do can you what you tend to find is it, it's
1: variation on a theme, particularly with regards to the, the running work. Yeah, you do have to structure it differently. As I said, You know, the, uh, especially the, the high-speed work, it, it's a high-risk scenario. And if the lads haven't been exposed to too much of it, then we do have to be very sensible, very careful, and, and you tweak it accordingly. But the game means that we need to do a certain amount of certain things. So you can only tweak it and tinker with it so far. With regards to the gym-based work, absolutely, you've got a full spectrum of work being done. But to be honest, after th- this is now 28 years of, uh, of professional cricket for me, and I've lived in a gym for a lot longer than that, so I'm you know, I'm quite confident that we can we can figure out a solution for for most scenarios that 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 crop up from day to day. You know, I'm not really one who's tied and anchored to one way of doing things i'm happy to be to be flexible and you know and, and sometimes think think a little bit outside the box uh, that's the fun of it if, if everyone's doing the same thing it's a little bit boring to be honest mate you know, I, I quite embrace the fact that we've got lots of people doing different things at li- different levels it's probably a little bit more stimulating from my point of view and it keeps me thinking on my feet
0: well we've touched on this uh, a little bit earlier Uh, but perhaps you can put a bit of flesh on the bone now because uh, we've discussed the fact that players are coming in and and have played and players will be going out at the end of the tournament and they'll be playing again for different franchises so on that basis how closely do you liaise with uh, your opposite numbers uh, at other teams to ensure you know the ins and outs of the Desert Vipers squad before they arrive. And indeed, you can pass that on to to the teams they're they're on their way to. Does that happen very much?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We do pride ourselves on uh, having as much contact as possible with the other science and medicine teams that the players are either coming from or going to. You're in a situation where you have these players for a brief period of time. If we look at I mean, it's easy to take the the UK players as an example. You know, these guys will have twelve month contracts with their counties at the moment, so we have them for a, a brief period of time. They're not necessarily as to be chopping and changing and messing around with That's a that's a high risk scenario in a in a relatively uh, brief period of time that our tournament is. So we can't really just going cold. We need to know what these people have done before, what the lads have been up to beforehand. The only way we can really get a full picture is by having close comms with the other invested science and medicine teams, whether that's uh, physios or SNCs. So myself and Nirm will spend a fair amount of time having those kind of communications. Especially with the UK guys, there'll be certain expectations that come from the counties. They will they'll want about a fair amount of work to be completed. as a a non-negotiable or as an ideal scenario. So we we will also be looking to make sure that we best prepare the guys, whilst also doing the best for the tournament, we want to best prepare the guys for what comes next. So there's a duty of care that comes with the lads when they arrive. And it's not just, we can't can't just be selfish. We have to look at the bigger picture and recognise that, you know the, these guys are very, very busy, and they'll be going from, as I already said, from one tournament to the next. But that also means that yeah, you know, the work has to be done. The appropriate level of work has to be done, and yeah, you you try and make sure that you spin that that's best for the team, that's best for the Vipers, but also best for the tournament as well. So quite often, there's a degree of the in the middle ground is is what you're looking to do. You can do so much, but in the end, the tournament is the tournament. The schedule is the schedule. The matches are the matches. So there's only so far we can tinker with things. But up till now, with all the tournaments that we've had across the world, and you know, working on uh, season one for us, it was a it was quite a smooth process. Even when we had a couple of injuries uh, take place, uh, it was still a, a nice smooth process because so many people have the same perspective. This is the world we're living in now. You know, the uh, the franchise world and a global player is very much a reality these days. So it's definitely an opportunity for uh, skills coaches, your coaching teams, the science and medicine teams to to interact with each other and make sure that it's smooth for the player because the player is central to everything.
0: Let's talk about T20 cricket and the fact that a lot of people talk about power these days. You've got to have power to play T20 cricket. Is that what it's all about, rather than stamina from a fitness perspective? Or is it a bit more subtle than that?
1: There's definitely a bit more subtlety to that, absolutely. There's no doubt that power, and, or rather relative power, so that's a little caveat that I put in there, power relative to your body weight is where I'd like to go. If we, Let's say we say... You know, when we talk about boxers being you know, outstanding pound for pound, do you remember that statement? I'm, that's the kind of angle that I would be coming at from a cricket perspective. And from a, from a short format white ball cricketer, that's absolutely what I'd be looking for. I absolutely want to see high relative power output. But capacity is also such a big deal. So that stamina phrase, the capacity, the ability to be able to repeatedly execute those outrageous, powerful scenarios, whether that's running between the wickets, whether that's uh, taking a running, sprinting, dive and catch, whether it's a max effort throw to to get a run out, or whether it's simply bowling maximum velocity repeatedly. It's the repeated power outputs that is a big deal. So to be able to do that, Your aerobic capacity needs to be in place, too, because that is the thing that will set up a maximal window for recovery. And as you've already mentioned, when we look at the schedule, recovery is a big deal. So the ability to tolerate what you've just done and then repeatedly execute that over and over again and then recover from that bout, it's sufficiently that you can do it all over again. That's what we're looking for.
0: Well, how do you develop and maintain power in a player, especially over a short uh, time with them? Or do you have to rely on them having it already? Is there anything you can do to assist a player in that regard?
1: There's, yeah, I mean, th- there's always an opportunity. It, the time that we have with these guys, there is a window to improve. But there's also, you have to pay the, uh, the tournament the respect it deserves. And there's only so much you can develop but what you could also potentially do is set up a scenario from a coaching point of view where they continue to develop when they're not with us. And that is very much the perspective that we take at Vipers. They're not just with us for this short period of time. You know, we do like to think that yeah, you know, if we're invested in in the lads and we're serious about them developing, then you've you've got to give them the tools to continue to develop. So any uh, coaching interventions that I might make, uh, it's less likely to be with a short term perspective. There may be some short term benefit. There's no doubt about that. We can get some real quick wins. For example, you know, turning mechanics, running between them, running between the wickets is something that. I'm very fussy over it. I, I do obsess over it a little bit and I can get some of my best improvements, you know, in half an hour's coaching. So there are windows where you can get some real short term gains. But the reality is a lot of the interventions that I may be making, they're probably more medium to long term. And it's, it's with re- a reflection on the player and it's the longer term development of the player and it's the relationship that I'm forming with the player. I'm not looking at them as, a short-term Vipers commodity. I'm looking at them as an individual, and I want to make sure that I gave them, I gave them the best of of me that I can, and and see it as a but beyond Vipers, that's more important to me. And the ideal scenario is that they play repeatedly for Vipers. That's the ideal situation. If that doesn't happen, well, I'm still very very happy with the work that I've done because you've you know, potentially helped a player.
0: Now look, on a match day how do you actually track player exertion? There's a lot of talk these days about the red zone or the danger zone for players. Just explain what that is to our listeners and, and how do you as a strength and conditioning coach actually track where a player is in that particular area?
1: The, the red zone it depends. It's different for for each player. It depends on what their current state, their current physical state, and what they've done previously. So, really, it, it's quite individualised. And what we will be looking at is the work that they've done before, the work that we're expecting to do with them. Uh, we'll be monitoring them repeatedly by sometimes a, a simple conversation. To be honest, it is one of the easiest way to get some good feedback. If you look at how a lot of teams will monitor with you know an app based scoring system, and you have a rating out of ten on, let's say, how you slept that night, or the quality of the sleep that you've had, or how challenging was yesterday on a one to ten scale. That, that if you're asking those kind of questions, whether that's either face to face or on a document or an app, then that builds up a really, really accurate structure uh, of where the, where those guys are operating. So that's just as, as beneficial as some of the GPS data that you can collect as well. So it's quite multifaceted really. And then the rest of it is on some of that, that human nerves and that, that gut feeling and the interaction that you've got with the player and the coaches and ultimately with the director of cricket as well. So, it's that multifaceted, multidisciplinary uh, discussion around what's appropriate and how hard do we go, do we back off, do we rest, do we rotate, all of those things. The handy thing is in, in the short format, it's, it's probably less relevant. There's less potential for exposure to significant overload. But with the schedule and with the fixture list, that is the area where it can, it can raise its head. So you do have to be pretty eyes on and and pretty open to reacting quite quickly with it too.
0: Just tell me as well, Daz, how does training of players differ, if at all, from T20 to longer form cricket? Is there a basic type of work that long form and short form players will do?
1: If we look at how the game's developed over even the last five to ten years, I mean, if I look at (laughs) the three decades that I've been involved in, It's changed dramatically, and one of the biggest variables of change has been white ball fielding. The expectation that we have in the field now with these white ball cricketers is immense. It's a world apart from the cricket that I watched and were involved in when I first arrived in the 90s. It's a different game. The expectation is so high and the physical thresholds need to be so much higher to actually tolerate it, never mind excel in it. And the one thing I'd say is that what we see is a drip feed of that down with the longer format of the game. There's no doubt that the Red Bull game, the longer format cricket, has seen an upturn in physicality since the onset of T20 cricket, really. So on that regard, I don't see too many things format wise being being done differently there's definitely more attention to detail with as we've said you know the explosive type scenarios be they in uh, speed or power you know so whether it's gym based or running based there's definitely a, a heavier bias there but because we're seeing that drift down into the longer format of the game i think there's there's definitely a commonality there and then the the bigger variability can come from the individuals themselves and the players themselves.
0: So, Daz, less than a month to go now before ILT20 gets underway for its second season. Are you happy with the way preparations are with the, the squad? Yep,
1: yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of guys uh, playing already around the world. I've just been watching the uh, big bash match that's on at the minute, and there's a couple of lads there that are going to be involved with us. So, uh, just having eyes on there, there's a, definitely a buzz already, especially around the, you know, the coaching team. We've already started having conversations about you know, how things are going to shape up, and now that we have the, uh, the the structure there, we can start to plan the training days, the practice days, the prep days, the recovery days, and you can see that it's going to come together. It is definitely going to be a more intense season. You know, we're into season two. We know what to expect. From the teams, we know what to expect from the venues, and the schedule itself looks looks pretty intense. So it is going to be. I, I, I expect it to be a little a little trickier. It, it's going to be exciting. It's to be honest, mate, we're really looking forward to it. We're we're ready to go. The, a lot of the lads are already working hard. A lot of the lads are already playing cricket, which is great to see. Uh, We've seen a few of the boys out in the Big Bash already, being very busy and looking very good. So, to be honest, it's all there. We're ready to go. We're ready to fire.
0: Darren Vaness, the Desert Vipers strength and conditioning coach, here on Vipers Voices. And that's it for another episode. Please feel free to give us any feedback or thoughts on the podcast. You can do that via email at media at thedesertvipers.com and you can get all the latest news from the Vipers at the team's website, thedesertvipers.com, or via all the major social media platforms. Don't forget, too, that tickets are on sale for all Vipers matches and can be purchased via the ILT20 website, or at any Virgin Megastore in the UAE. We'll be back soon with more Vipers chat as the start of the tournament draws ever closer. But in the meantime, this is Brian Murgatroyd saying thanks so much for listening and have a happy new year.